All right, take your Bible, please. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 45. That was good singing, fellas, as a blessing. Can't wait to hear you when your voices change all the way. But anyway, <clears throat> that was good singing. I appreciate it. It's good to be back again this morning. It's, it's, it's amazing how quickly these things go by, isn't it? I mean, here we are on Thursday morning. We have this morning... And then this evening, tomorrow morning, and it's over. So here's what I ask. Let's take advantage of every service, every minute, every moment we have left, and let's let God do something. It goes by too quick. Uh, a fellow was interviewing for a job, and the man that was doing the interview asked this fellow, he said, now, I hear you're good at math. Uh, he said, I-, I hear you're real quick with math. And he said, that's right. He said, well, what is 14 times 27? He said, 49. He said, that's not right. He said, no, but it was quick, wasn't it? <laughs> and that's kind of that's how it feels. That's kind of how it feels with these kind of conferences. It just goes by real quick. Some of y'all are pretty quick at math too, probably, aren't you? Didn't say you're good at it, but we're quick. All right, Genesis chapter 45. We'll begin reading in verse number 16 and read down through the end of the chapter. And uh, I, I, I'm going to need your help a little bit this morning. I'll, I'll, mention, I'll, I'll explain that here in just a moment. <clears throat> in verse 16, the Bible says, The fame thereof was heard in... Let me say this. I usually have everybody stand, but I'm afraid if we stand, you won't be able to get back down. You know how that is when it's pressurized? and you, So we'll just stay seated. I don't want to see what would happen if we all stand. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beast, and go get you unto the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land." Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. I like verse number 20. He said, also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. He's saying, don't worry about what you have. What I've got in store for you is far better than what you have. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that you fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan and Jacob, uh, unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive. I will go and see him. Before I die. For all of this time, several chapters in the book of Genesis, several years have passed, Jacob has been living as though Joseph is dead. Every day he woke up grieved. Every night he went to bed in sorrow. He just knew in his heart Joseph was dead. You say, why did he think that? That's what everybody was saying. Everybody told him, you know, Joseph, he's no more. Joseph is dead. Here in chapter number 45, the Bible says that these boys, Jacob's other sons, these other 10 uh, or 11 come back and say, Hey, uh, we got this thing wrong. Joseph is alive. And the Bible said that Jacob couldn't believe it and his heart fainted for he believed them not. Then the Bible said he saw these wagons come rolling in, loaded with all the good things of Egypt. And Jacob began to think to himself, maybe there's something to this whole Joseph is alive thing after all. And when Jacob realized the truth that Joseph's not dead, 
Joseph's alive, the Bible said he had personal revival. Uh, with all my heart, I want to see revival. But I think sometimes we paint with too broad a brush and we think revival is a sweeping thing that covers the whole spectrum. But I'm talking about I need revival in my own life, personal revival. Uh, just a little while this morning, I want, I want to preach all the way through the entire life of Joseph. And I want to preach on this thought, the key to revival, the key to revival. And I want you to help me. All throughout the message, I'm going to say, but Joseph's not dead. And when I do that, I want you to follow me and say, Joseph is alive. Say that with me. Joseph is alive. Let's do it. One, two, three. Joseph is alive. All right. We'll do that throughout the message. You have to pay attention. All right. Let's pray. We'll get into the thought. Lord, I pray that you speak to our heart this morning. I pray that you'd help this message, Lord, just to come to life, this Bible story. God, I pray that you would stir our soul, help us to understand, Lord, we're on the winning side. I'm glad our Joseph is alive today. I pray that you'd use us now in Jesus' name. You have Dr. Jorgensen as well as he comes to preach at a moment. Amen. My heart's desire for your heart and my heart and the heart of every church that I preach in is that we might see revival. Now, I don't use that word like a cliche. I mean genuine revival. Uh, when I say revival, I don't just mean an emotional stir. I mean revival. Uh, I don't just mean a series of special meetings. I'm talking about revival. Uh, I don't just mean some good singing and um, some amens and things like that. I, I mean revival. Uh, I'm not talking about a pep rally for Jesus. I mean, I'm talking about a thorough, genuine Move of God. I mean, I'm talking about revival. I told the young man, I think it was in church ed class a few weeks ago, I'm talking about revival. Uh, that's a, a conviction that comes that leads you to confess your sin. And then God can cleanse you, and that clears the way for God to move in your heart in a way that God hasn't been moving in your heart before. I want to see revival like that, don't you? The psalmist asked the question, Will thou, wilt thou not revive us again? And I want to just answer, yes, God can still send revival. If I didn't believe God could send revival, then I'd quit preaching, get an honest job, and run for political office. But I believe that God uh, can still send revival. I believe it with all of my heart. Uh, revival and death are total opposites on the spectrum. Probably nothing is further apart than death and revival. Uh, for example, death, when I think of revival, I don't think about a graveyard. I don't think about tombstones. I don't think about caskets. I do think about some churches where I attempt to hold revival meetings in. Uh, but that's not what I think about when I think about revival. Uh, it just doesn't lend itself well. For example, dead preaching doesn't do much to produce revival. It just doesn't. Uh, this kind of preaching that uses like a librarian's inside voice and uh, they don't want to be absolute about anything. I mean, that does not do much to produce revival. It takes an old-fashioned Jonah to come to town and say, repent, God's about to judge this place. Uh, dead singing doesn't do much to produce revival. Big difference in performing and worshiping God through song. And I tell you, you sing songs like Victory in Jesus or Brethren We Met to Worship or some songs like that with some truth and doctrine in them. It'll help bring, back, uh, bring about a spirit of revival. Uh, dead services don't do much for revival. Nothing is further from revival than the thought of death. For example, revival is a time when things are restored. Death is a time when things are severed. Revival is a time of joy. Death is a time of sorrow. Revival is a time of hope. Death is a time that robs us of hope. Revival is a time when we renew our service. Death is a time when there's no more work left to be done. Revival is a time when we strengthen that which, is, which, which remains. Death is a time when all strength is gone. Revival is a time when life is renewed. Death is a time when life ceases. When I think of revival, I don't think about death. It's totally apart on the spectrum 
from, from revival. Now, I heard a quote or read a quote the other day that said, The only thing worse than death itself is to live with the memory of a death. To go through life every day with that haunting reminder of death on your heart and death in your mind. That's exactly where we find Jacob here in our Bible. Now, I understand most of you probably know a little bit about your Bible, but if I take that for granted, I had nothing to preach. So I'm going to go through this a little bit, so bear with me. Uh, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. We know Jacob had a brother named, what's his name? Esau, all right. Uh, they were twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the little bit older, I guess. Esau's covered in hair. He's red all over. And Esau is, is a redneck kind of a fella. He likes to hunt. Jacob's a mama's boy. Some of you fellas can relate. But anyway, uh, Esau likes to hunt. Esau likes to go out in the field. He likes to shoot his bow. He likes to wear his camouflage. He likes to get out there and get dirty. And by the way, if you're a man... It's okay for you to uh, scratch and uh, grunt and get dirty every once in a while. Uh, it, it's okay. It is. It really is. It's okay to catch fish and shoot defenseless animals. Amen. Uh, it's okay to laugh when your buddy trips and falls. Or, but anyway, I, I mean, it's okay to be a man. Uh, so Esau's a manly man. Jacob's a mama's boy. Jacob would rather play kitchen. I mean, he'd rather be in the kitchen. Uh, he's cooking food. He's playing with pots and pans. And always worry about a fellow like that. And I see some of you, but I won't mention you by name because they're recording the message. But anyway. Uh, uh, Jacob's that kind of a fellow. Uh, let's fast forward. Esau goes out hunting. Esau's out in the woods, and if you like to hunt, you know how it is. You go out in the woods. Uh, a lot of times you don't shoot a thing, but you always get hungry trying to. And, and Esau's been out in the woods all day. He's been in his uh, uh, in his tree lounge. He's kicked back there waiting on a big buck to come by, and he doesn't say anything, but his belly growls, and he's starving to death. Esau comes back home and he smells what is called chili because this is Kentucky, okay? Uh, he's cooking some chili. Uh, he smells some chili cooking in the kitchen. And, and Esau uh, comes to the front door. He, he goes, oh my! His stomach begins to witness back with the spirit of the chili, you know. And he thought, man, uh, I, I believe I could have some of that. I'd like to have some of that chili. He walks in the kitchen and it's not his mama in there. It's his, uh, it's his, it's his brother Jacob in there making chili with his mama's pots and pants. Uh, he's making some pottage. He smells that and he said. Hey, I, I prayed. He said, give me some of that chili. He said, I'd like to have some of that. And Jacob, he's a conniver. He's a supplanter. He, he was a Baptist before the Baptist. But anyway, he, he's one of those. Uh, Jacob's a trickster. And Jacob thought, now i got to get something out of this deal. And he said, i tell you what. He said, Esau, I'll give you a bowl of my chili if you'll give me your birthright. That sounds like a fairly fair deal. Let's just do that. Uh, Esau's thinking, man, I'm pretty hungry. I don't know if I need that birthright anyway. I do know this. If I don't get some chili or a Slim Jim or something, I'm going die. I'm starving to death. He said, all right, fine. You can have the birthright. Give me the chili. Man, Jacob just tricked his brother Esau. Uh, later on, the same thing kind of happens again. Uh, the Bible said, I told you, Jacob's a hairy fellow. Uh, and, 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 or rather, Esau's a hairy fellow and Jacob is smooth. Isaac is old now. Isaac can't see very well. Uh, in fact, he's about blind. And, and Isaac tells Esau to go uh, shoot some uh, deer and bring him back some savory meat. He wants him to go out, kill something, and bring him back some tenderloin and, and make it there uh, for him to eat. While Esau's out in the wilderness, uh, his uh, mama goes to his other brother, Jacob, and says, Hey, listen, uh, your father wants some of that savory meat. 
Esau's out in the woods trying to kill a deer, but here's what we're going to do. She loved Jacob more than Esau. She said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to fix him some savory meat from a couple of the kids of the goats. And you're going to take it to him and pretend uh, like you're Esau. And he said, well, I, I don't know how that'll work. He, he said, if I do that, he'll know because I'm not hairy like he is. And, and he'll find me out. She said, here's what we'll do. We'll take the skins of the, of the goats. We'll put them on your hands and upon your neck. And when you go to him, he'll feel your hands. Maybe he'll rub the back of your neck and he'll feel that hair and think, man, that's got to be Esau. Feels just like a goat. But anyway, he said that, that's got to be that's got to be Esau. So that's what they do. They cook the meat. I mean, she seasons it just right. Puts a little A1 on there, and uh, he brings it back. Uh, I, uh, um, uh, Jacob, bring, I'm getting so caught up on the food, I'm forgetting my Bible characters. But anyway, uh, she uh, gives it to Jacob, and Jacob comes back into the kitchen, uh, into his father's presence, uh, presence there, Isaac, and he has that uh, meat there on the plate. He's got the goat skin on him, and he, he hands it there to his father. Isaac takes a bite out of that meat thinking, man, that's good. That's just like Esau makes it. And he gives Jacob the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. Esau being the eldest brother should have been blessed by Isaac, but Jacob just fooled, pulled the wool over the eyes of his father and he robs Esau of his, not just his birthright, but now the blessing of his father. Now Esau comes home, he brings the meat to his father like he's supposed to, and Isaac, Isaac figures out what's happened. He's been tricked, he's been had. Jacob's connived him, and Esau gets mad. I mean, Esau wants to, wants to whoop Jacob. I mean, he wants to punch him in the nose. Because of that, Rachel, or rather Rebecca, takes Jacob and says, you need to leave town. You gotta to get out of here. Uh, Esau's out to get you. He might kill you. You better leave. Alright, now let's fast forward. Jacob leaves. Jacob begins to travel and he ends up in a place called Haram. While Jacob's there, he's at a well and there's some shepherds there watering their flock. Uh, he's waiting by the well and he sees a young lady approaching and she's uh, bringing a herd of sheep or a flock of sheep with her. He asks the men who that is and they say, well, that's Rachel. That's the daughter of Laban. And Jacob realizes... That's my family. Uh, uh, Laban, he's my uncle, and Rachel, she's my cousin. He runs over to Rachel and kisses her on the cheek and says, Hey, I, I, I'm your relative. I, I'm related to you. My name is Jacob, and I, I, I'm sojourning through the land. She goes and tells her father, Laban, and he's so excited that Jacob has come. He said, I want you to stay here. He said, You can live with me. You can dwell with me. And what, whatever you'd like to have, he said, You can have it. Jacob thought, Well, uh, Rachel's pretty good looking. I'd like to have her. Now listen, they were cousins. But where you know where we're at. So anyway, um <clears throat> But anyway, uh he said, I'd like to have her. So here's what here's what uh Laban says. Laban says, All right. Laban said, If you'll work for me for seven years, I'll give you Rachel to be your wife. Seven years. Years. That's almost as long as some of you fellows have been in Bible college. Seven years. Uh, for seven years, uh, uh, Jacob works and labors for Rachel's hand in marriage. I like what the Bible said. They've seen but few days. You know, labor is not hard when love is the motivator. It's not hard to get someone to pray or go soul winning or things of that nature when they love the one they're working for. The seven years flew by and it's time for the wedding. Man, they're excited. The church house is decked out in white. There's doves flying everywhere. They're getting ready to pelt people with rice. I mean, Jacob's standing there at the altar. I mean, he's ready to marry his bride, Rachel, and here she comes down the middle aisle. She's got a veil over her face. I mean, he can't wait. Uh, they do the vows. I do. I do. Man, they're hitched. Uh, a day or so, maybe a day passes. They're in their first time home by 
Potiphar's house, you know. Jacob's sitting there uh, at the kitchen table reading the, uh, uh, the Israeli Times or something at the table, drinking some coffee. And here's the patter of those pretty little feet coming down the hallway. He's thinking, man, I can't wait to see Rachel. I, I mean, she's beautiful. I can't believe I got so lucky I got to marry Rachel. And he's sitting there at the table. He hears her coming around the corner. He looks over that paper, takes a sip of his coffee. He goes, spits it out. And it wasn't Rachel at all. He'd been tricked into marrying her sister, Leah. Now the Bible said Rachel was good looking. Leah had a great personality. Jacob's thinking, whoa, wait a minute now. Uh, you know, half the daytime it's light out. I can't marry. But anyways, he, he goes back, he goes back to, uh, Laban and says, I think there's been a mistake. I just worked for seven years for the good looking one, <clears throat> for Rachel, and you gave me Leah. Laban said, well, I'm sorry, I had to. He said, you know, she's older and I can't give anyone else to take. No, but anyway, he said, I, ha- I had to. He said, she's older. And he said, you, I can't give away the younger before the elder. He said, so here's what I'll do for you. He said, you work for me seven more years and I'll give you both of them. Right now I'm thinking, Jacob, just leave. You know, run. <laughs> One is bad. But anyway, uh, so he does it. He works seven more years and now he's got double trouble. He's got two wives. The Bible tells us that Rachel is barren. It is impossible. Possible naturally for her to give birth to children. Leah, uh, on the other hand, uh, produces children. By and by, though, God opens the womb of Rachel and God blesses her in a miraculous way with the birth of a baby boy by the name of Joseph. Joseph becomes the most beloved son of his father Jacob. In Genesis chapter 37, we find that Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other brothers. He loved him so much, he gave him a coat of many colors. Can you imagine how esteemed he was in the father's eyes? He exalted him above all of his other children. He loved Joseph more than he loved any of the rest because Joseph was born in a miraculous manner. Because Jacob the father loved Joseph the son so much, all of his other brethren despised or despised rather, and rejected him. They could not stand Joseph. One day they're out in the field and Joseph goes to his brothers and said, I had a dream. He said, I had a dream uh, that your sheaves uh, all bowed down and worshipped my sheep. All of them did. They all bowed down and that made them mad. Nobody likes for their little brother to do that kind of thing. And that's, he's saying, all your sheaves bow down and worship mine. That's not all. He said, I had another dream. I had a dream that the sun and the moon and the eleven stars, uh, they all uh, bowed down and they worshipped, uh, they, they worshipped me as well. And, and man, they couldn't, they couldn't stand it. They hated Joseph even more in their heart. They started to scheme and connive and plan a way uh, to do away with Joseph. They couldn't stand him. The Bible says in chapter 37, further down, that Joseph is with his father Jacob in a place called Hebron. That word means fellowship. So here's Jacob, uh, the father, with Joseph, the most beloved son, in a place called fellowship. He sends Joseph out to find his brethren. His brethren are in a place called Dothan. That means the law. He goes down to Dothan, finds 
finds his brethren there, and as they see him coming, they say, Behold, the dreamer cometh. And they begin to uh, conspire in a way to do away with Joseph. At first they talk about killing him, but then uh, cooler uh, minds prevail, and they say, Well, let's not kill him. There's a pit over there. Let's just throw him in that pit. The Bible said there was a pit that had no water in it at all. They take Joseph, the most beloved son of Jacob, and they throw him down in a pit where there was no water at all. The boys go off to eat their lunch, and while they do, a band of Midianites pass by, and they pull Jacob or Joseph rather up and out of that pit. They sell Joseph to some Ishmaelites. When the boys come back to look in the pit, Joseph is gone. They don't know what to do. They don't know what's become of him. So they take his coat of many colors and they rip it up a little bit. They kill a kid of the goats and take the blood of that kid and they take it and wipe it all over the coat so it looks like Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Now think about it. Jacob is back at home. Jacob loves Joseph. Jacob is an older man now. Jacob is just sitting there maybe on his front porch business as usual and those boys come running home and they have that coat of many colors and they say, tell us whether this be thy son's coat. Is this the coat that Joseph wore? We found it out in the wilderness. And Jacob said, oh, that's his coat. I know it's his coat. I gave him that coat. He's been torn apart by wild animals. And the Bible said that Jacob could not be comforted because of Joseph. He knew in his heart that Joseph was dead, but... Jacob's living on this side like Joseph's dead, but he's not dead. He's just been carried off into Egypt, hasn't he? The Bible said that they take Joseph and they sell him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a captain of the guard in Egypt. Potiphar has Joseph as a servant in his house. And Joseph is such a goodly young man and well-behaved and has such character that Potiphar entrusts him with everything under his possession. I like it that even though Joseph was in Egypt, he did not live like an Egyptian. He still kept his character there in Egypt. Potiphar watched him and studied him and said, I can trust you. Everything that's mine, man, it's yours. He said, you can sit on my couch, you can drive my four-wheeler, uh, you can watch my television, everything that I have, you can eat my bread. I mean, everything that's mine, it's yours. Now, the Bible said Potiphar has a wife. The Bible doesn't mention Potiphar's wife by name, so I'll give her a name just for the help of the message. And so we'll just call her Hagatha for the message. We call her Hag for short. Uh, but anyway, uh, Potiphar had a wife. And the Bible says that every day Potiphar's wife would try to tempt Joseph to defile himself and lose his purity. Every day she'd come and say, Joseph, uh, how about you and I? Uh, let's get together. Joseph, uh, just defile yourself. Joseph. And she'd pressure him and push on him every day. By the way, that's exactly how the devil works. You can't just say no to temptation today and then think you can skate by tomorrow. It's a daily battle and struggle to not yield to temptation. Day by day the Bible says, one day she's there and she catches Joseph off guard and the Bible says she latches onto his jacket uh, trying to get him to defile himself and Joseph says no and he runs out of the house but she's standing there holding his coat. Now listen, all of this is happening on our side of the story but on that side, Jacob's living like Joseph is dead but... 
Potiphar comes and there's his wife holding the coat of that Hebrew slave and she makes up a story. That's what Hags, or I mean Hagatha does. But anyway, uh, she makes up a story and said that Hebrew fella, he tried to defile me and he tried to be immodest with me and they take Joseph and throw him in the slammer. Now listen, Jacob's over there. He thinks Joseph's dead, but he's not dead. He's in prison now in Egypt. While Joseph's in prison, he's got a couple inmates. He's got the butler and the baker. Candlestick maker was on the run. Uh, but the rest of them were in the... But anyway, he's in the prison. The butler has a dream. While he's in prison, he dreams he sees a vine of grapes growing and it clusters out into three clusters of grapes. He takes the grapes in his dream and smashes them down and makes some Welch's grape juice for Pharaoh. And he goes to Joseph and he says, Joseph, I had this strange dream. I saw a vine with three clusters of grapes growing on it. I took the grapes and smashed them down, carried the cup to Pharaoh. What's it mean? Uh, Joseph thought to himself for a minute. He uh, prayed to God and I believe God gave him the answer. He said, here's what it means. Those three clusters of grapes represent three days. He said, in three days, you're going to be set free, and again, you'll get to carry the cup for Pharaoh. You're going to be restored. Man, that sounded good to the butler. He liked the sound of that. He's getting out of jail. The baker heard and thought, man, I kind of like the way that guy preaches. I mean, he, I, he's always positive. I mean, I, I think I'd go to his church. I might even send money to his telecast. I like the way he preaches. Uh, he said, I had a dream too, Joseph. He said, you did? He said, yeah, what was it? He said, I had a dream that I was walking around and on my head, he already started off weird, he said, on my head were three baskets of baked meat for Pharaoh. He said, the birds of the air flew down and took meat out of that basket that was on top of my head. Joseph, what's it mean? And Joseph looks at him and said, well, those three baskets are three days ago. Uh huh. He said, and just like those birds came down and took the meat out of the basket... Pharaoh's going to take your head from off of your shoulders. He thought, I don't like his preaching. Uh, but, but that's exactly what happened. Three days passed, and the butler was restored, and the baker met his maker. Uh, all this time, all this time, Jacob's living like Joseph is dead. But Joseph's not dead, is he? Joseph's alive. He's just in prison. The butler gets set free. Joseph said, now when you get restored, don't you forget to tell Pharaoh about me uh, down here in the prison. He said, you remember me. Two years go by. Two years go by. Pharaoh has a dream. In Pharaoh's dream, he sees seven, uh, seven full fat ears of corn growing. But then seven withered ears come and destroy the seven fat ears of corn. He can't understand it. He has a dream again and he sees seven fat, we'll call them cows. Bible said kind, but I don't want to lose it. Fat cows. Seven fat cows. And then seven skinny cows come and devour the seven fat cows. He can't understand it. He dials a prayer. He goes to Sister Shaniqua with the crystal ball. He does everything he can do to try and figure out what the prayer, what the dream meant. But nobody can get to the sermon. Nobody can figure it out. The butler remembers, oh yeah, uh, Pharaoh, there's this Hebrew fellow down there in the prison. Been locked up for a few years now, but I remember he's good at interpreting dreams. Maybe I'd have fed him out and let him tell you what the dream means. So he does. Pharaoh sends for Joseph and Joseph goes to meet with Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams, Joseph. He said, I had a dream about the seven ears of corn, the seven skinny ears, the seven full fat cows, the seven skinny... What's it mean? And Joseph makes a wise statement. He said, it's not in me. But he said, if God wants to give you an answer, he can do it. By the way, if you want God to use you, you better get to that point where you understand it's not in you. But if God does anything through you, it's because God's good. Amen. 
He said, but here's your answer. He said, the seven full ears and the seven fat cows mean the same thing. He said, seven years of plenty. Seven years of economic boom. Seven years of food on the table. Everybody's got a pig uh, in the oven. I mean, seven years of everybody being blessed. But the seven withered ears and the seven withered kind or cows, he said, that's seven years of famine to follow. Pharaoh thinks, what should I do? Joseph said, well, here's what I'd do. He said, I think I'd find a fellow with character, somebody you could trust, somebody who has a little bit of discipline in their life, and I'd have him store up in the seven good years so that we have something for the seven bad years. That's what I'd do. He said, Pharaoh, do you know anybody like that? And Pharaoh said, yeah, you. Now Pharaoh has exalted Joseph to his right hand there in Egypt. Think about Joseph's life. He's gone from being uh, uh, severed from fellowship with his father, forsaken by his brethren, uh, put in bonds, and now he's been exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. That's an amazing thing that's happened. But listen, that's on our side of the story. Back at home, every day Jacob's sorrowing. Every day he's mourning. Every day he's broken. Because Jacob still thinks Joseph is dead. But he's not dead, is he? Joseph's alive. Joseph begins to store up grain in those seven years of plenty. They build silos and put corn within them. While he's there, he takes him a wife of the Egyptians, a Gentile bride. Her name, if you look up the definition, means pearl. So he takes him a bride who's a pearl of great... That makes me like a Baptist shout on a Thursday morning. He takes a Gentile bride. He said, I'll call her pearl. She's of great price to me. He marries her there. And he begins to store up uh, the corn. And then the seven years of famine hit. Now, if anybody wants bread, they got to go through Joseph. If anybody wants to have sustenance, they got to get it from him. The only man who can supply what people need is Joseph from here on out. Back in the land of Canaan, Jacob is living like Joseph's dead. I mean, there's mourning around the house. Every talk about Joseph is what he used to be, how he once was. He's a has-been. It's all past tense. A famine hits in Canaan. Jacob has to send his sons into Egypt to buy corn. He packs up his boys, all but Benjamin. That was Rachel's only other son. All the other boys he sends into Egypt to buy corn. Those boys go into Egypt with their corn money and their sacks on their back uh, to get the corn and bring it home. And they meet a strange fellow. He, he looks like an Egyptian. He talks through an interpreter and he deals harshly with those boys. Now they don't know it, but they're getting ready to talk to Joseph. Joseph sees them coming and Joseph knows who they are. He didn't forget about them. He sees them coming but they don't understand. They don't realize it's him. He said, what are you fellows looking for? They said, we came to buy corn. He said, now you came to spy out the land. He said, you're here to spy on me. I know what you're here for. And he messes with them a little bit. By the way, you reap what you sow. He takes them and puts them in prison for three days. They, they said, we're all one man's son. He said, he said, the ten of us are here. He said, one of them's back home and one of them is Dead, talking about Joseph. We're not spies. After three days, he lets them out and he said, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll send all of you home but one. I'm going to keep one of you back. He said, and you go back and get that other boy you're talking about, get Benjamin. And next time you come, he better be with you. That way I'll know that you're not spies. He gives them their corn. He sends them back there uh, into Canaan land. He keeps Simeon back uh, in the prison, sort of as a ransom or an earnest. They go back and tell Jacob. And they say, Jacob, we got corn. Uh, we've got provision. A fellow over there in Egypt 
We don't know who he is. Never seen him before in our life. I mean, he's a strange fellow. He talked to an interpreter. He dealt harshly with us. He put us in the slammer for three days. But he gave us corn. He kept Simeon back. He said, we can't go back and get corn again unless we bring Benjamin. Man, Jacob's heart is breaking. Jacob thought, I can't lose Benjamin too. Uh, he's Rachel's only other son. I, my heart would break. He said, if I lose Benjamin like I've lost Joseph. You see, Jacob is still living like Joseph's dead. But he wasn't, was he? Joseph's alive. He's over there in Egypt. After some time, they run out of corn and have to go back. And now they have Benjamin with them. These boys go back with Benjamin, Jacob's other son from Rachel. They approach Joseph and there he, he weeps when he sees Benjamin. He has to hide himself and gather his composure. He invites them into his home and they have a meal together. Joseph gets a plan to trick his brothers into keeping them around a little bit. He goes to his servant and said, I want you to take my silver cup and I want you to sneak it into the sack of Benjamin, into his bag. And after they leave in the morning, I want you to overtake them and accuse them of stealing my cup. He said, whoever's bag that cup is in, we're going to put him in prison. So he does. He takes that silver cup, the Bible said, and sneaks it there in the bag of Benjamin. The next morning they pack up and they begin to go back. They've got corn. They've got double their corn money given back to them. I mean, they're heading back toward Canaan lamb. And as they go, the servant overtakes them and says, Wait a minute, wait a minute, boys, stop. They say, what is it? They say, one of you have stolen my master's cup. That silver cup he likes to drink out of, one of you has it. They say, we don't know what you're talking about. We didn't touch the cup. And he begins to search their bags. And he begins to look probably from the eldest to the youngest. And he comes to Benjamin's bag. And there's that silver cup uh, in his bag. Man, the boys can't believe it. They thought, I don't know how this happened. And the servant said, he's going to stay. He's a prisoner now. He stole from my master. They bring him all back to where Joseph is. And at this time, Joseph can't contain it any longer. Joseph begins to reveal himself to his brethren. I like the way the Bible says it there in chapter 45 verse 1. The Bible said, Then Joseph cannot refrain himself before all them that stood by him and cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph, watch this, made himself known unto his brethren. Now think about it. Oh, I don't know how many many years it was, but forever long it was, those boys are telling everyone Joseph's dead. I mean, they're living like Joseph's dead. In their heart they think, Joseph is dead. Joseph clears the room for everybody but his brethren and he reveals himself or makes himself known and he says, you might remember me uh, from that pit there uh, down in Dothan. I'm your brother Joseph. You thought you did away with me but I'm not dead. I'm alive. Here I am. I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. Man, the boys can't believe it. I mean, they just got the realization Joseph's not dead. Joseph's alive. But back home, Jacob doesn't know that. He's still living like Joseph's dead. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to go back and get daddy. He said, you did me wrong. You did, but I love you. I want you to go back and get daddy. Bring him, because I want you to be where I am. I can see as those boys go running home. They go running home fast as they can run. Dust coming up behind their feet. And they're shouting, Joseph's alive! Joseph's alive! Joseph's not dead! Joseph's 
Allahad. Jacob, an old man sitting on the front porch, maybe his ears are a little dull, his, his vision dim, and he's sitting there and he thinks, I, I can't be hearing what I'm hearing. It sounded like they were saying, Joseph's alive. I've been living my life like Joseph is dead. I've been acting like my Joseph is dead, like he's gone. He can't be alive. The boys come racing and grab him by the Daddy, Joseph's not dead. We thought he was dead. We thought he was gone. But he's in Egypt. He's in power. He's, he's alive. Joseph is alive. And Jacob said, I can't believe it. And his heart fainted. But then behind the boys came a row of wagons. Those wagons began to roll up. They had an insignia of Pharaoh maybe upon them. They were loaded down with goods, food and provender and clothing. I believe that everything in the wagon, the shoes, were just the right size for Jacob. The coat just the right size for Jacob. And that wagon, as it rolled up, Jacob saw that wagon and began to think, maybe there is something to this Joseph is alive thing after all. Maybe it's true. Maybe Joseph's not dead. Maybe Joseph is alive. And all of a sudden the Bible said, when he grasped the truth that Joseph's not dead, Joseph's alive, that he had revival happen deep in his soul. Oh, it's an amazing thing that took place. Jacob went from sorrow to a spiritual awakening, all because he transitioned from Joseph is dead to Joseph is alive. You say, Brother Cooper, that's a long story. How does it make sense? I believe we live in a day where we come to church and we sing the songs and we preach the sermon, but we act like we serve a dead Jesus, like we have a dead God. And I'm afraid we've forgotten that our God's not dead. Our God is alive. It's time we quit mourning. It's time we quit shuffling our feet. It's time to quit pooching out our lips, acting like we have a dead Jew in a borrowed tomb. No, I serve a risen Savior. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. Oh, I believe we can have revival. I believe we can get some churches started. I believe we can see some souls won. I believe a work for God can be done. If somebody grasps the truth, our God is not dead. Our God's alive. If you go to the tomb of Buddha and look inside, there's Buddha bones. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad and look inside, there's Muhammad bones. If you go to the tomb of Confucius and look inside, there's Confucius bones but if you go to the tomb in Jerusalem it says he is not here for he is risen see the spot where the Lord lay oh thank God I serve a risen Savior he's in the world today he's alive Joseph's alive he said here's what I want you to do get those wagons put Jacob on the wagon bring him back I said those boys said daddy is better than that he's not just alive He's in authority too. You see, how's this applied? Jesus, most beloved son of his father. Jesus despised by his brethren. Jesus taken by his own, cast into a pit with no water. Joseph didn't stay in the pit. Joseph rose out of the pit. Jesus didn't stay in hell. He didn't stay in the grave. But he rose again three days later. Amen. We find that Jesus or Joseph went to a far country. After the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the Father. In the far country, Joseph went to the right hand of Pharaoh. I'm glad right now in heaven, Jesus is at the right hand of my Father. In Egypt, Joseph took a Gentile bride. He called her Pearl. I'm glad right now that Jesus is gathering a Gentile bride. A pearl of great price. 
I like it when the famine came. Nobody could provide but Joseph. And I'll serve you notice nobody can meet your needs this morning but Jesus. Nobody can put bread on your table like Jesus can. I like it. They send him back and say, Jacob, hey, you got to come. Joseph is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. But it gets better than that. He's in authority. He's got power over there in Egypt. Can I tell you, young person, listen, not only is our God alive, our God's in authority. It doesn't matter who's in the White House as much as it matters who's on the throne. And I'm glad we've got the legislator of legislators up there in heaven for us. He's our advocate. Thank God. He's by our side. He's alive. Uh, he's in authority. I uh, like this. That wagon told Jacob he also is affectionate. Because he never forgot what Jacob liked to eat. I know what size he wears. He's still been on my heart. They've done me wrong, but I still love him. I still care about him. You might be here this morning and you say, well, I've failed God a thousand times. Yes, but God, I'm glad he never fails us. I'm glad he never forfeits us. Never forgets us. Amen. Never casts us off. I'm glad he's affectionate. I like this. Jacob, not only is he alive and in authority and affectionate, he even associates with us. He's not ashamed to call us his brethren. Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't ashamed of sinners like us? He said, but it gets better than that. He's anticipating our arrival. You say, what do you mean? Jacob, get in the wagon. While we're on this side, Joseph's building us a house on that side. He said, while we're on this side, he's preparing a table for us on that side. While we're on this side, he's making a place for us to, he wants us to live where he lives. He wants us to dwell where he dwells. I can see as they get in those wagons and they run over rutted out roadways and rocky soil. And it's a long, arduous journey. And Jacob's going on faith. Yes, Joseph's not dead. He's alive. He's going on faith. But while they're traveling and working and toiling on that side, Joseph has all of his servants building them a room on the other side. And Jacob can't imagine it. But I imagine it was exquisite. I imagine it was beautiful. Joseph preparing a place for Jacob. He says, anticipating our arrival. But it gets better now. One day we're going to get to see him. He's going to appear face to face. Think about it. Right now, Jacob's living on this side. He's living on the faith side of the story. On that side, it's the sight side of the story. Right now, he's going off the word of another. He's going off the preaching. Joseph's alive. He's going off the singing. Joseph's alive. And I'd say he'd go over mountains and down through valleys and think, I hope it's true. I hope I see him today. I sure hope they got it right. I hope it's Joseph and not another. But I can see as he crosses that last crest and goes down that last hill and that figure of Joseph is standing there and Joseph, Jacob said, that kind of looks like him. I kind of remember that build. And, that remind, and he begins to see him and he focuses in and he said, oh my goodness, they didn't lie to me. It was true all the while. I see him now as he is. There's Joseph and he got to see him face to face. I'm glad one day our Joseph, our Jesus, hey, he's alive and in authority and he's affectionate and he associates and he's waiting for us to come where he is but one day we'll get to see him face to face they get to Goshen a bunch of shepherds every shepherd's abomination to the Egyptians in the eyes of Pharaoh they're as good as sin wickedness unrighteousness in the eyes of Pharaoh you say, how are they welcomed? Not only is he affectionate and associating and alive and all of those others, he begins to advocate for them. He said, now you can't go into Pharaoh by yourself. He hates shepherds. But if you go in with me, we can walk right in the presence of Pharaoh. I see as Joseph gets Jacob and says, you're with me, buddy. Let me take you to meet Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh looks on those fellows, those shepherds, and says, you know what? Usually I'd cast you out. But since you came in with Joseph, we're going to let you stay. Hey, listen. I think it would change all of us this morning if we just understand our Jesus is not dead. Liberalism didn't kill him. Atheism didn't kill him. Uh, the, 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 the laws that are passed to try to hem us in, it hasn't killed him. Apathy amongst Christians has not killed him. He's alive. And you get a hold of that, and I'll tell you what happened. Your heart can revive. I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. Amen.